So you want to watch a movie, but you don't know which. Choosing the one can be a bitch. But Jared and Drew have perfected the art. So sit back, relax, and trust the dark. It's dark for movie night. What's going on, everyone? I'm Drew. And I'm Jared. And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night, the podcast where we put 20 movies on a board, throw a dart at it, and let the fates decide. After covering one of the oldest films on the board last week with Vertigo, this week we're jumping to the most recent release we've ever covered. This week we're talking about Last Night in Soho, the newest film from director Edgar Wright, starring Thomas and McKenzie, Anya Taylor-Joy, and Dartboard Movie Night legend Diana Rigg. Diana Rigg herself, man. Yeah, excited to be talking about another movie with her and her last film before she passed away. Pretty amazing. This is her last on-screen performance. We're going to be talking about it tonight. And if I'm not mistaken, in addition to the comparisons you made, I believe Vertigo was a was a dartboard OG, was it not? Correct. And this and is then, a very recent edition. Yeah, and this is an extremely recent edition. So a lot of kind of interesting things, but in terms of trusting in the dart, like it seems like a really good kind of follow up to Vertigo in some sort of bizarre way, you know? Interesting. I'll be I'll be interested to get your opinion on that. I mean, definitely I see some parallels already when you mentioned that, but um yeah, I'm I'm curious to hear what you have to say there. I think first though, let's do a little review of where we're at on the dartboard uh given that we uh, just reference that. I'll run through the board right now and kind of give everyone a sense of where we sit this week. At number one, you've got You Can Count On Me. Number two, Ex Machina. Number three, The Right Stuff. Number four, The Big Sleep. Number five, Operation Condor. Number six, The Sixth Sense. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, The Fifth Element. Number nine, Days of Heaven. Number 10, Big Daddy. Number 11, Heathers. Number 12, The Straight Story. Number 13, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Number 14, Tonight's Episode, Last Night in Soho. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Modern Romance. Number 17, The Blair Witch Project. Number 18, Waking Life. Number 19 face off and number 20 kung fu hustle solid little board right there it's a, it's yeah, a good board we've got some good ones uh on the board there for us to hit i'm really excited for a lot of these so uh, but as i mentioned tonight we are on number 14 last night in soho jared you want to give us a little streaming check on uh, on this movie today definitely at the time of this recording Last Night in Soho is available for streaming on HBO Max, and then you could pay to rent it from a variety of places, all the usual suspects. So it should be easy to track down, and you know, I definitely thought, well, we'll get to what I thought. We'll get to what I thought, but should be obtainable for sure. Well, how'd this get on the board, Jared? This was one of your selections here. Uh, I, you know, As we mentioned, this went on the board very recently. Very recently. This one's... Uh, Pretty cool in terms of that it was just very organic. I remember when this movie came out and the trailer hit, and I was seeing snippets of it, and I thought, like, that looks interesting. Somehow I completely missed that it was an Edgar Wright film. Had I known that or caught it, I would have made a, a, a more substantial effort to track this movie down and see it, probably in theaters. Although I don't know what was going on COVID times and such when it came out. But in any event, I did not know it was Edgar Wright, but the trailer intrigued me. Fast forward like years. You and I are talking about, well, I guess it's not possible. Fast forward <laughs> years. You mean months? <laughs> yeah. Fast forward a handful of months. Um, <laughs> and you and I are talking about Groundhog Day. And we're talking about sort of time loopish sorts of movies. 
and I remembered that trailer, and I, I didn't really know much about the movie, but I was like, there was this movie that came out recently about some person who goes back in time into the 60s and like tries to solve a, a, a murder mystery or something, and we couldn't really figure out what I was what movie I was talking about, you and I putting our heads together. Because it just wasn't, first of all, not entirely accurate. And then, coincidentally, a few days later, I was talking to the editor I work with. His name's Scott. And he started telling me about Last Night in Soho and how it's, like, really good. you got to check it out. It's a neon nightmare, beautifully shot, yada, yada. And uh, it hit me like a thunderbolt. It's like, oh, my God, that's the movie. That's the movie I was just talking about with Drew that we could not come up with a name for. It's Last Night in Soho. And it's like, okay, this has got to go on the board. And it's you know, like we, 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 we stumbled on it kind of on our own through conversation. And then this kind of knight in shining armor <laughs> reminded me of the title. So it came back. And then when I found out it was Edgar Wright, I was even more excited. I was like, I love Edgar Wright. I love his style and his movies. Let's get this on the board. We don't have a lot of really recent stuff. And, it's, and what really sealed it was when I found out you also had not seen this. So it's like, okay, let's go for it. It's something a little different. It's not like considered like an all-time classic or anything like that. It's just something that came out very recently by a filmmaker that I really love. So I thought it would be a a cool one to throw on there. Yeah. Well, given that, what did you think about it on your first viewing? I liked it a lot. I liked this movie a lot. It's this not is becoming a, a thing you do where you just stare off into the, the middle distance and put your hand on your, 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 your chin there. And it's like, I never know what's coming out of your mouth after you do that. Did you expect, did you part expect like, I hated it. Or like, yeah. Anything? Yeah. It could have gone either way. You were, <laughs> you were like, way. yeah. Yeah. As kind of is a part of a theme in the show. I didn't universally love everything about it, but I really, really dug it. And I, I loved a lot of things about it, like the the color choices and the editing and the camera tricks and different things like that. And one of the things that really stuck out to me the most was it seems very different to me in terms of energy than a lot of Edgar Wright stuff that I've, For sure. that I've seen. Like this movie definitely has moments where it gets very kinetic and very intense and mm-hmm. it is stuff to the rafters with very flashy camera techniques. But I felt like this movie had a certain amount of patience and calmness for lack of a, like placidity that a lot of his movies don't really have. And in that, in that regard, it was kind of refreshing in terms of his filmography and a bit of like um, a palate cleanser in the way. And it's very kind of non-traditional movie in a lot of senses, but it was not the vibe that I was expecting, even with having seen the trailer some some time ago before going into this. I just, um, I don't know. I really dug it. I do felt it was a little a little bit long, and there were there were some times where it's like the sort of like nightmarish uh, scenes of her being haunted by all these ghosts and stuff. I felt like they maybe did like one or two too many of those, and it's like okay, we get it. Like let's get kind of to the next story beat a little. But that was more kind of minor, minor quibble. And overall, I really, really dug the film, dug the performances, and thought it was strong. You know, not one I'll be running around shaking people by the shoulders and telling them to see this movie. It's like it's not a drop everything and see it, but really solid. And 
I'm wondering, I haven't decided if I feel like it's surprising or not that it wasn't more talked about upon its release. Uh, but that's something you and I can bounce around together. But uh, so, yeah, overall, like if I was going to throw like a letter grade on it or something, I'd say like a B plus sort of experience, like liked it, worth seeing. I would recommend it, but uh, it didn't necessarily blow me away. It's not going to be one I'll be thinking about on my deathbed or anything like that. Yeah, I'll be curious uh, when we get to talking about Edgar Wright where this sits in, in his filmography for you. But um, yeah, I'm glad to hear that it, it, it worked for you. I I can't disagree more. I think this movie Ooh. is kind of a mess. Um, really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, I, there's definitely a lot to like. Like, I don't want to I want to start off by saying that this movie is far from a bad movie, I think. I think I mean, in terms of just like the, the quality of the filmmaking on display, like you said, like a lot of the technical elements are just beautifully done. Um, you know, we definitely want to talk about the cinematography later uh, because it's a gorgeous looking movie. And I think there's a decent amount of the Edgar Wright visual flair in this that I really enjoy. So there's a lot to like here. And, and, and even, you know, stuff like the performances, I think, are generally really, really solid in this. But I think for me, this movie just left me wanting so much more. And I think it's kind of half-baked in a lot of ways. I think the, the movie thinks that it's got a lot more going on, you know, behind the scenes than it, than it actually does. It's, it, it thinks it's a smarter movie than it is. And I kind of was perplexed and somewhat insulted by some of the, the uh, story choices towards the end of the film. I mean, we can get into that later. Um, but yeah, I think just generally speaking, um, it, it just did not work for me in the way that I hoped that it would. Uh, even if I did enjoy a lot of the, you know, the elements individually, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this. What did you know about the film before, before watching it? Did, had you seen trailers in the past? Did you remember, was there a certain amount of discourse upon its release that you had caught or, or like how clean was your slate before you started watching it? Well, I think we're both really big Edgar Wright fans and I uh, was following Edgar Wright on Instagram around the time of this movie going into production and just being a huge fan of his, I, I was expi- I was excited to see what he came up with um, because, you know, he is the consummate film nerd in a lot of ways. The dude like eats, sleeps, you know, breathes film and when he was going into making this movie, he was saying like the different types of movies that he was influenced by. And there are a lot of things that I'm really, really into. Like he was specifically calling out repulsion, which is one of my all time, like classic horror movies that I think is phenomenal. That is a far better movie than this movie. And I see what he's saying when he's like calling films like that up for, for why he wanted to do this movie. But I, I, I just like, I don't, I don't feel like he was the right filmmaker to tackle a movie about violence against women. Like I just mm. don't. And mm. I think that that fully reads in this movie and it just it doesn't it doesn't work for me the way his other movies do. Like because I think his other movies know not to take themselves too seriously and I think this movie goes too serious. You think so? Oh, that's interesting. Like <clears throat> was there a specific point in the movie and did you was it first watch, second watch? Did you just watch it once? I, I watched it once and then the second time I was like doing other things while I was catching it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Was there a specific point where you kind of hopped off the bus 
Yeah, I mean, we're jumping to the end of the movie kind of, but the 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 problem for me really like and and I mean there there are feminist critiques of this movie that I think are really interesting and and um I I want to talk about that at some point too, but but setting that part aside for a second, just on a fundamental story level, the decision to go from telling a story about violence against women and and a victim of that to then being like she's righteous because she kills all of the the people who raped her um, and then turning that character into the villain of the story at the end is to me like such a fucking misguided decision because it completely upends what you're trying to say like like you either are putting this this character up as like a hero because she fought back against her oppressors or you're saying that she's the villain and needs to be stopped because she's, she's murdering a lot of, uh, you know, like she, she's, I, I just think, I think when you're like, you're turning the oppressors and the rapists into the, uh, people that need to be redeemed at the end, you know, because they like the ghosts turn out to be just these like souls who have been murdered that you're supposed to sympathize with. And like that choice to me is just like, what are you doing? Like, what are you saying with that? Does that make sense? It does make sense. Um, but it, it, it does not kind of correlate with my experience with the film. Like I wasn't really looking at, I wasn't really looking at it in that tone of like what the film was trying to say about violence against women and, and women fighting get back against that violence and things like that. Like I just kind of viewed it at, on a more surface level of just like, uh, as almost like a pop. I don't know how you can. Movie. This movie is beating you over the head with that messaging. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's leading us to believe that that Anya Joy, An, Anya Taylor Joy's character, has been murdered, but then we kind of we find out eventually that it's not the case. So I don't know. It's just it was more just like a a mystery story to me, and I didn't really see like like a movie like Promising Young Woman. I think is more focused on the specifics of like fighting back against you know male violence yeah but I, I guess I, oh go ahead sorry no no but i just didn't think this movie like it's folding some of that into it and i think what one thing i do like about how this movie handles a lot of that stuff is it's kind of up to the viewer on whether or not you agree with the killings in a way thomas and mckenzie's character Eloise is like pretty understanding of the choices that Diana Rigg, whose character Sandy made when she was younger, like the way she's trying to talk her into not dying at the end of the film or not allowing herself to be burned alive in the house. Like she, she definitely is understanding of what the character was driven to and is sympathetic to it. Um, other people might find it uh, completely despicable, especially the fact that she's kind of, stabbing Eloise's suitor, things like that, and, and poisoning Eloise at the end of the film. Like those are things that are that are more much more disagreeable in some ways. Um, <laughs> what do you mean but, in some ways? She's the villain. Yeah, I mean at that but but she's a complicated villain. And she's one that you could understand. No doubt, but I just I'm I'm just saying like isn't the problem with the messaging that she is the villain then? I just think you rob them you rob that character of sympathy at that point. I mean, maybe it's just kind of playing with 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 expectations of the audience. You know, maybe it's just trying to build towards a reversal that's just not expected. 
you know, I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure. We don't need to dwell on it. It's just like, like again, like I, there are things I like about this, but like it was really hard for me to get past this because it was just like, why? Like, like what are you trying to do with this? Yeah. So you were on board up until that reveal at the very no. end of the film? No, I mean, I, there was other stuff. I mean, in terms of just like, uh, like I, I do want to talk about other things that I had a problem with because I think there are other things that are more like just on a technical level just didn't work for me. But But yeah, this was the big one that I was just like, how can you fail storytelling in that in such a on such a fundamental level for me to like lose the thread that badly? But anyway, I you know that's that's my opinion on that. Uh, you know, obviously, I think like it's totally fair to read it the other way too, and just be like, look, this is just you know entertaining kind of thriller movie. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's fine. Uh, I'm glad you were able to enjoy it on that level for sure. I definitely think that Eloise is is totally sympathetic, especially in that last shot. Of her seeing the ghost in the mirror. Oh, of course, she's of, always sympathetic. Yeah, yeah I don't she's think like, she loses any sympathy. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's a a group of people watching the movie who would feel like Eloise does, and 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 that's fully fine. I think to be like, yeah, she was driven to this sort of craziness by the despicable situation that she was put into, and that's understandable. Yeah. And I think the movie totally leaves that interpretation like out there for anyone to to agree with. You know, for sure. Well. In terms of like actual just tangible things within the story that didn't really work for me, I kind of I I wanted so many more scares and thrills out of this movie than I got. I feel like none of the jump scares work. It's it's always just like, and then like a guy like over his shoulder. Like that's that's really the extent of the scares in this movie. Otherwise, it's just kind of like ghost imagery. That's really mm-hmm. like the only other thing there is. So like for me, I was just like. I, I was think going back to thinking about like my that movie Repulsion that I really enjoy, uh, despite Roman Polanski being a shithead. It's a more interesting ex- exploration of a descent into madness than this movie is to me. This movie just never nails that, in my opinion. What was your feelings on like the the scares and the overall vibe of it? You know, I tend to agree with you. Um, the, there were a couple of jump scares that were really effective, like the first time she wakes up from the dream. And it's starting to go bad. Like the, the fantasy world is starting to darken. And she has that moment where she thinks she's awake, but the person from the 60s is there and grabs her hand as she reaches for the alarm clock and tries to silence it. Mm-hmm. Like for me, that was a really effective jump scare because, again, it's the first time the worlds are, are, are kind of melding together. So I didn't see that coming. There was one that there was like um, the writing on a wall was maybe a little too visible. Like... There's a scene where she gets in, into the mirror in the bathroom and like there's been a series of little scares. But then when she returns to the room, like the, the nightmare world is still there. That one I kind of sniffed out. It's like there was something in the way that sequence was structured. I was like, oh, he's not done with he's got another he's got another ace up his sleeve in terms of a scare. So there were a bunch in the movie like that, too, where it's like they didn't really surprise me and they their effectiveness was varying. And I do I do like the visual thing they did to the faces of the ghosts, the way they were just kind of like um, diluted and flattened and creepified. Yeah. But I felt like they returned to it a bit too much. And Well, it was all it had. It was like, give yeah. me some variety. Like maybe like 
if there were if there was one ghost that had that design that would be interesting but like the fact that it's just this mob of ghosts that all look the same and it, they're basically just standing there every time they show up they don't really do anything except for the one scene i guess where she runs between them and they like grab her but like outside of that it's just like it's the same thing over and over again like give me some variety give me some like you know i don't know well i also went into this film not really knowing its genre and I think that that played to its strengths in terms of the way I approached it, mm-hmm. because I did not know it was categorized by many as as a horror film or a drama slash horror. So as I was kind of going through the film and these these kind of creepy, scary things were happening, I was like, oh, cool. This movie's got a little horror sprinkled into it. And then, you know, it, it gets, you know, darker and darker. But I didn't know going in that it was like branded by many as a horror film. So I came out from the other side. I was like, oh, that was pretty cool. Like it's got some 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 jump scares some horrifying imagery and things like that and then when i came out and like saw online that it was like drama slash horror i was like i guess it was like a horror film but i kind of view it viewed it as more of like a suspense whodunit mystery that had horror components so for me like the varying degrees of success that the horror components had didn't degrade the film as much because i didn't view it as a horror film in a lot yeah of i mean it sounds like i came into this with more baggage than you did you know it was just it, i there was something i was expecting from this that i wasn't getting yeah i mean that comes down to just like you know i again i love edgar wright films i know what his stylistic tendencies are you know and i i feel like the first 45 minutes or so of this movie i was pretty in on it i was i was really digging it and i was interested to see where it was going um, I feel like that's where the bulk of the the really cool visual imagery is happening and the, you know, it's where you get the most Edgar Wright coming through, I feel like. You know, the I, I, the opening scene of her dancing into her bedroom in that, that dress is great and that's just so Edgar Wright. But then it just kind of feels like it loses steam for me and it, it's almost like he ran out of ideas at the 45 minute mark and it just is the same things after that repeated. That is a, po- a point where we will agree to to some extent because... As I kind of mentioned in my overall thoughts, I did feel like the movie sagged a bit and that whole kind of ghost element of her being haunted and being attacked in the real world or assaulted or whatever whatever word would be was just was just done a few too many times and, and it wasn't really bringing a ton new to the table. So that's when I was kind of like, okay. And again, I'm, here I am being guilty of, of remaking a film. But I was like, I, I bet if you trimmed 10 minutes, 15 minutes of this film and kind of focus less on all the ghosty stuff it might be kind of it might be more in line with my sensibilities but for me that wasn't like a cardinal sin or egregious it was just it was a little bloated and I kind of had a little bit of like a watch checky sort of vibe in some of those scenes but I still really did like how a lot of it didn't really feel Edgar Wrightish to me a lot of it did like you mentioned that opening dance scene I mean that could be pulled from something like Baby Driver you know it's really really similar the opening of the film is like very much his style of of meshing music and 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 rhythm and timing and and shot in a really cool way the first shot of the movie i'm just like oh i love that Mm -hmm. just with her in the door and that amazing yeah 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 yeah, that whole that whole sequence i'm right there with you i was like this is really cool but a lot of the movie beyond that seems stylistically very different from a lot of uh edgar wright's cadences and that's what i really kind of respond to responded to in terms of the positives about it yeah, I mean, again, like I, I love some of the early stuff. Like I love the way that he uses the mirroring effect and, and I think all of that is really cool. And um, it's great. But then 
that's all it does the rest of the movie. Like, I just, I don't know. I just expect more from Edgar Wright. I've watched him be incredibly inventive throughout films in the past. And, oh, he, he understands the, the way that you ratchet things up. So it's just baffling to me that this one didn't do any of that. Mm, yeah. And he does seem like a filmmaker who's very invested in details. And I saw an interview with him talking about the TV show Space, which was like one of his very first projects he ever did. It was with him and Simon Pegg, and it was a British TV series that I think ran like two seasons. Mm -hmm. And he was mentioning in this interview about how at the time the internet was really coming on and becoming a larger force in society. And he got interested in how focused these like film blog people and fans of the show were and picking up all these little details. So from that experience, he really pushed a lot of effort into kind of packing in tons and tons of details into his films so that people could mine them for a lot. And I think his movies do share that a lot. Like the, I still love Hot Fuzz for that reason of how concentrated it is and how, how much depth and humor it has in like every single frame and line. And on for, like I, I kind of did one and a half viewings of this, I should probably say. And so I haven't had time to really sit with it like I have his others, but it didn't, it wasn't apparent anyway that it was really stuffed with that sort of detail we're used to with Edgar Wright, but maybe it is. And maybe I just need to sit with it longer or check it out in a few years. Um, but yeah, yet another way for me, it was different from a lot of his filmography. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't see this one aging all that well for me, but we'll mm. see. Remains to be seen. While we're on the topic of Ed, Edgar Wright, what is your background with him? How how far back do you go? I was introduced to Edgar Wright, I would imagine like many Americans, through Shaun of the Dead. Mm -hmm. So Shaun of the Dead came out, I'm going to guess, and you can correct. I'm guessing 03, 04, something like that. I think it's 04, like I want to say. That movie made a pretty big cultural splash in the States, and especially when, like, when I was in high school. It got talked about a lot. And I saw it, and it's like, oh, this is, this is, a, this is great. It's like a spoofy comedy about the zombie genre. And I, re I really dug it. I thought it was a really, really solid comedy. So that was my introduction. And then Hot Fuzz came along and I, f I fell in love with that movie. I, I absolutely adore Hot Fuzz. It's probably in my top 10 comedies of all time. I just really responded to that. And then The World's End was coming around and I saw that in theaters and I remember thinking, okay, I think it's my least favorite of the so-called trilogy, the Carnetto, I want to say. What, what's it called? Like Cornetto. Cornetto trilogy, which is like I guess like a a, a British ice cream treat that is like it's a basically line. the same as a drumstick out here. Okay, okay. It's like yeah, it's like and it it shows up in all three films, and then Scott Pilgrim versus the World. I have not seen. And really? So, so that's that's one that is that's uh, my favorite of his. It's one I've uh, I've wanted to check out, but I just never got around to, and then. Baby Driver came out. That's one I saw in theaters. And at the time, I was living in Atlanta. So I was really enjoying the way in which Edgar Wright was embracing his filming locations and not trying to pretend it was someplace else. Just like, no, it's in Atlanta. Let's, let's, let's embrace where we actually are. And so, yeah. And then he made Soho after that, right? Correct. I'm probably missing some along the way. But all no, that is not. to say... No, that's everything. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so Cart the, the, the trilogy... Baby Driver and Last Night in Soho Now are the films of his I've seen. And I've seen a couple episodes of Spaced, 
from from back in the day. But that's my reaction. I really like him a lot. I love his comedic sensibility. Big fan overall. So that's me. That's where I'm at with Wright. How about you? What do you how do you feel about Edgar Wright and how did you get introduced to him? Yeah, I um my introduction was Hot Fuzz actually. That was the first one I saw of his. And I really, really enjoyed it. That was my freshman year of college. And um, I was, yeah, just over the moon for that movie. I saw Shaun of the Dead shortly after that and really loved that one as well. So a huge fan of those two movies. The World's End, I remember we saw in theaters together. And that was actually, a, uh, I, I enjoyed that a lot. I, I It hasn't stuck to my bones quite as much as the other two in that trilogy. But uh, I definitely have, I've revisited it recently and I, you know, quite enjoyed it. I'm a, I'm a, decently big fan of baby driver i think that movie has a lot of cool shit in it uh again a one that maybe doesn't stick to my bones quite as much as the other ones but i i do dig that movie quite a bit and uh my favorite is the one you haven't seen scott pilgrim versus the world i think that movie is a goddamn masterpiece <laughs> yeah because that's a that's one that's like i mean visuals always play an important role in anybody and any director's films but certainly edgar wright's I think I remember hearing that that's the one that takes like the biggest amount of like visual swings. For Is that sure. true? And so that's probably why you respond to it because you 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 tend to really love visual films because you're like a big fan of like Speed Racer and stuff too by the Wachowskis. Right? Oh yeah, and this is of yeah. a piece with that kind of movie yeah, yeah. too. So yeah, hundred percent, it's in that realm. It's you know over the top chaos, uh, you know cartoon logic. It's it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'll, I'm going to be adding it to my personal list for some time soon because I've, I've wanted to see it. I think this is really unfair, but I think at the time it came out, I was kind of sick of Michael Sarah, and I was kind of like, I'm going to put him down for a little you while. You and the rest of the world at that point. I don't know yeah. why. I, I think Michael Sarah is great and I have no idea why people just developed this vitriol for him, but I, I love him too. I don't, I don't, I honestly don't know why I felt that way. And I don't think it was aggressive. I don't think I was like, fuck Michael Sarah. No, I but think the internet like, had knives out for him for sure. Yeah, and I don't I, I like you, I don't know why. Like, um I don't know. It it really doesn't make sense. Cause I love I love him in Arrested Development. I absolutely adore him. He's super bad. I don't know. He just he just I really have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, regardless, that is a movie that everyone should go revisit because it's one of the most visually inventive and just like there's never been a more impressive feat of editing i think ever than that movie that movie blo- i don't know how they edited that movie it's insane mm. and i believe because i think he's one of those guys like a lot of filmmakers who likes to keep the same group of people together as much as they can and i was listening to some of the commentary track today and he had his editor on and it sounds like the editor wor- has worked with with Edgar Wright since like the space days. So I'm assuming the same editor did Scott Pilgrim and, and a lot of Edgar Wright's films. So definitely a strength of his entire filmography so far is the, the skill and the editing is, yeah. is excellent. No. And I think that's on, on display here too. I think this movie is well put together and um, you know, especially like the mirror scene stuff. And, and again, kind of just going back to the visual inventiveness of, of Edgar Wright, I think he does an incredible job of, of, making all of that look seamless, which is really, really hard to do. Yeah. So this, it looks like it's Paul Milch, 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 March, Machless. I don't know. Can't do it. It's Australian guy, I guess. Paul Machless. Machless. Yeah, that's I it. Think. But yes, he's done every one of Edgar Wright's films. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and is, and kills it is he seems like a great editor to me. 
Absolutely. I mean, not that I understand that art form all that much, but it's uh, really, really impressive what he pulls off. But yeah, I think, you know, I think we're both fans of, of Edgar Wright. I, you know, where does this sit in his filmography for you now in terms of your rankings? I mean, it's a short list. I think we can mm-hmm. both do our rankings here. Yeah, yeah, we can, we can, we can rattle them off. Number one for me is definitely still Hot Fuzz. Mm-hmm. Two is probably Shaun of the Dead. Three, I've only seen At the World's End once. So it might be At the World's End, but it also might be this. And then probably Baby Driver and then either World's End or this. I don't know. It's 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 all jumbled up. I think I think actually my least favorite is Baby Driver. <laughs> Wait, so you, you either put... <laughs> Let me get this straight. You either put Last Night in Soho or uh, The World's End at number three and number five, but not number four. Yeah, yeah I, I think <laughs> I think what I have to do for this list is I need to excise at The World's End for now because it's it. I saw it once like eight, nine years ago. However, it was maybe longer now. And I really can't remember like how much I really liked it. I remember thinking it was okay. Baby Driver is is much more recent. That's much more tangible. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say no at the world's end for now. And I'm gonna by the way, Baby we've Driver both last. been getting. Sorry, not to interrupt, mm-hmm. but we've both been getting the world's end wrong. That's the name of it. Is just the world's end, and I added at, and you added the. <laughs> it's just world's end. Just the world's end. The world's end. Okay. Yeah. I'm saying uh, you added at you added the in between at and, <laughs> and the rest. <laughs> you got the world, closer. The world's end. That one is yeah, I'm skipping that one. So I'll do baby driver last and last night in Soho second last. Wow. Bef- Interesting. And, I yeah. That's fascinating to me that you like this more than Baby Driver. Baby Driver, I was intoxicated with, like I mentioned, the Atlanta shoutouts, but also and more importantly to that film the combination of music and the way music was used to be set to specific rhythmic shots in the film and edited and cut to the music is incredible. And that is something I really love about that movie. But when I peel the layers more and, and, and look into it, it's like, yeah, it's just an action movie. Like it's cool. It's a cool flick, but there was something about it that didn't really wow me. And this, the way this film last night in Soho is a bit more patient and calm in a lot mm-hmm. of its camera work, it, I kind of ended up liking it a bit more. But but to be fair, I, I do like Baby Driver. I'm just not enamored with it. Yeah, those are mine. What, what What's your ranking for your Edgar Wright filmography list? Well, this one is undoubtedly last for me, no question. Um, I mentioned before Scott Pilgrim is my number one. My number two is definitely Hot Fuzz. Number three is definitely Shaun of the Dead. And then number four, Baby Driver. But I think the gulf between Baby Driver and Last Night in Soho for me is pretty deep. I, I really enjoy Baby Driver other than the Kevin Spacey of it all. Yeah, which is is what it is. Unavoidable. Yeah, yeah. But I do enjoy that movie and I think it's like the the I think it's some of the best practical car stunts ever filmed, and for that alone I'm gonna be super in on that. Hmm. I love John Hamm in that movie too. He's having a lot of fun in that movie. He doesn't get enough to do in, in movies these days, I feel like. Nor has he ever. He's just, it's awesome that he's like a side character. So he's able to take these huge swings because like the movie, the movie's not really grounded in reality anyway. And I mean that in a good way. It's very amplified and, and, and big. But yeah, John Hamm is just able to to, to ham it up, no pun intended, hey. because he's only on the screen for like 20 minutes, 15 minutes. 
So he can take these big cuts and we won't tire of it. It's just fun seeing him cut loose in that way. Definitely. So I mentioned the way Edgar Wright blends music and live action and how that's a huge, huge strength of his. I'm actually a little embarrassed that I didn't bring him up. So a few a few weeks ago, I think it was, we did The King of Comedy and we were talking about Martin Scorsese's real deep knack for music selection and how to perfectly pair a pop song specifically or you know a pre-made song to a scene in a film and you and i were kind of rattling off other greats that you know have that neck too edgar wright is totally in my opinion in that umbrella underneath that umbrella of great filmmakers who excel at music selection and also they choose a lot of songs that are not super super well known in a lot of situations Ironically, this movie has some very famous songs in it, including like Downtown and things like that. But generally, when I watch an Edgar Wright film, I'm introduced to a lot of cool shit musically, like the first time through. And I'm like, he's, and then again, when he, he picks a song that I also really like, I'm like, oh, nice. This is a bit of like a deep cut from my iTunes library that Edgar Wright also likes too. So it's, it's something I really admire about him as an artist. And oftentimes I'm grateful to, him for tunes that he's introduced to me to over the years that I've grown to really love. No, yeah, that's absolutely a, a major strength of his, and I, I can't believe we missed it in that conversation. But um, yeah, no, I mean, he had the genius of of having Beck do the soundtrack for for Scott Pilgrim versus the World, which that alone deserves an Oscar in and of itself. Mm. But uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, he, there I can just think of like. A bunch of iconic ones even off the top of my head my favorite is probably in Shaun of the dead where he uses don't stop me now for the the scene where they're fighting off the zombies like <laughs> yeah. that that's one that just for whatever reason has always sat in my mind of like what a perfect choice of song for that moment mm. i the one that stands out to me is baby driver with deborah the use of of deborah which is actually recommended to the main character by that waitress that he kind of ends up falling in love with it's like, that's a really cool use of that tune, man. And he, he is just so good at it. And in this, how did you feel about that scene of Anya singing downtown as part of her audition? How did you feel about that scene, that use of that song, and, and more specifically her performance in it? Oh, I mean, it's great. She's got a beautiful voice, and that's actually her singing, which is awesome. Isn't that um, amazing? Yeah. No, it's it's a really beautiful rendition, and she she nails it. No, and and you, you know, this is definitely a strength of this movie too. Like as much as I I'm, you know, saying I I didn't really enjoy the movie. That, again, there are elements, and this is one of them that's just like awesome. I mean, they, you know, you you mentioned that there are some popular tunes like Downtown on on the soundtrack, but this this movie is also introducing me to people like Scylla Black that I hadn't ever heard of before. But but you know, some really really great just '60s ballads from from these you know female crooners there it's it i love this kind of stuff yeah i think i think i'm going to try to get the soundtrack on vinyl pretty soon because i think for a variety of reasons most importantly it's a really good collection of songs and actually before we started recording i was just listening to it on spotify on my phone and just kind of zipping through it really great collection of tracks some really cool kink songs in there. there's a bunch of musicians i've never even really heard of and secondly i think it's going to look really good in the bin in a crate with all the neon and the style of you know the last night in Soho, yeah, sort of visual flair. So I definitely am going to look into it. But more germane to what we're talking about right now, he's just fucking great at picking these tunes and finding the 
just the perfect little spot to drop them in. And they just, they just fit like a glove, dude. So good. To plug, uh, Scott Pilgrim one more time though, man, you're going to love that fucking soundtrack that is so up your alley. I didn't know that Beck did the music for it. Yeah. So original music. That's, that gets me really excited because Beck is probably my favorite musician alive. And so I'm very excited about the possibility of checking it out. I guarantee you that I, when we were driving around at one point, definitely put on uh, some of these tunes because Threshold is a fucking banger. That song <laughs> is awesome. Yeah, dude. I am so excited now, even more so excited about seeing this film. Now that I know that back to the soundtrack, I'll be keeping an ear out for that for sure, dude. Yeah, I, I'm hoping that uh, we'll get a little uh, chin waggery out of it next week on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you never know. To plug. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Future chin wags. <laughs> <laughs> well, you brought up Anya Taylor-Joy. I think it, we should dig, dig into some of the actors and the performances in here. Mm-hmm. We can start with Anya. I mean, she is a fucking powerhouse actress. Like, I am so amazed by this woman. I am so mm. excited to watch her career. What do you think of her in this movie? Oh, she's amazing. She's 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 so... She's electric, dude. Totally, totally electric. And just can't take your eyes off her. And especially early in the film, when things mm-hmm. are still rosy and optimistic, she's so confident. She's so... She just, like... She's got swagger. She's got crazy amounts of swag and it's just so such a unique looking person too i honestly can't think of anyone in like film history that kind of looks like her and she's so stunning but she's so again so confident in this film and that again that singing that that singing scene just i was like that can't be her real voice right it's a like i'm i'm watching it thinking like now it's too good. It's too good for her it really to be her singing. Mm-hmm. And it was a really emotionally effective scene for me, for sure. And then I found out after the fact that just like you said, it, it it truly was her. I'm like, so she's that good at singing too? That's insane. And it's she's really impressive. she is something else in this film. And when she kind of she portrays that that spiral down into sort of not quite madness, but just darkness for her character. Well, it and, shows that the flip side of that confidence and that, you know, that swagger is this ruthless ability to, to mm-hmm. flip a switch and murder. Yeah. And, but just thinking like of the scenes of her, like when, when there's that sort of montage sequence of all the older people coming up and asking her name and she's just like, kind of tail spinning a little bit and it's just like every time it happens it's just getting kind of more depressed or more more drunk or fucked up or more yeah. bitter in like, retrospect that's the descent into madness kind yeah, of there yeah but she's she's great in those scenes too so not For only sure. is she like portrays self-assuredness and confidence so well and just the level of coolness that's just incredible but she also portrays uh kind of like a dead spirit weakness someone getting ground down uh really efficiently and effectively too so i just totally bought it since we're talking about the swagger element of her performance i think it's really interesting to note now i want to first say this is coming from imdb trivia so i have no (laughs) idea if this is true i actually fact-checked one of the top rated uh trivia things on this this particular movie's trivia the other day and it was completely wrong so this could be completely wrong but Apparently, Edgar Wright has said 
that when he test screened this movie for George Miller, that is the moment where George Miller discovered Anya Taylor-Joy and was like, she needs to be Furiosa in my new Mad Max movie. So she is currently filming Furiosa, uh, the sequel to Mad Max Fury Road, which is just going to be, I, I, I can't fucking wait. Uh, so she's got she's got more good stuff on the horizon then, and I'm not I'm not surprised she's well. She's and to fantastic. be clear, this was not her breakout either. Like she's no. been. I mean, the Queen's Gambit was what two years ago now. And, yeah. Um. There's been some other stuff. Did, by the way, did you see the Northman? I did. Yeah. She's yeah, great in she's, that. She's awesome in that. Yeah, she's really good. I'm I'm glad that she's getting these really good roles too, because I I mean I was introduced to her like a lot of people I would think through Queen's Gambit, like you mentioned, like that was, and I was just like, who is this person? She's incredible in that show. She's, she's so, so good. And then I heard that she was actually in the witch as well, which is a movie I've been wanting to put on the board for some time. That was her breakout. Yeah. And that's how, that's how Edgar Wright, how, how she got his attention Mm -hmm. is when the witch came out is when he met her. And I guess when he first pitched her this movie idea, because he had said it had been kicking around in his head, for like 10 years and and it just took a while for him to kind of refine it down and get it to the point he wanted to. But I heard that she was the first person he ever really pitched it to. And when he first met her, he was just like telling her this idea. And she's like, that sounds great. I'd love to be a part of it. At the time when she said she was interested in being a part of it, he was considering her for maybe like the Eloise role who's played by Thomas and McKenzie. And then I guess just through, through passage of time or whatever, she just realized like, no, she's Sandy. She, it's the character Sandy really grew and expanded a lot in the writing process. And he's like, no, that's, that's where, that's who Anya needs to be. And, uh, I thought a great choice. I thought she was a really good, 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 good pick for this role. And she just fucking kills it. And I'll be good. Ex- pick is underselling the shit out of it. She fucking knocks this, this out of yeah. the park. She's the best part of this movie in my opinion. Yeah. I think that, I, I mean, p- performance wise, there's a lot I like about this film, but she is probably, I don't know. She's 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 among the great strengths of it. I think. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned Thomas and McKenzie a second ago. Uh, what do you think of her performance in the central role? Have you seen her in other things before? Yeah. So I was kind of dogged for a little while. I was just like, one of those classic moments. Like, where do I know it? Where do I know this person from? I know I've seen her before. Had to go to the Googs. It's like fucking a Jojo Rabbit. Right, right, right. So that's how I had known Thomas and McKenzie before this film. And I thought she was great in this. I, I really did. I, she honestly was probably my favorite performance in the film. Interesting. Okay. Like, like, the, like her kind of coming in from her country atmosphere, that amazing intro that we talked about of her dancing in that newspaper dress, which was so dope. Um, I also just wanted to say while we're at this point of the film, I didn't know it was set in modern times yet. Like I, 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 cause I knew there was some sort of like time traveling component to it. When the movie started, I was like, what, what, what year is this? The way she was like, has all the old school 60s stuff up on her walls because that's obviously her, her area of interest. So the first time I recognized that it was modern times is when she was on the train and she had beats pill, uh, the beats headphones on. I was like, Oh shit, this is, this is nowadays. I had no idea. But anyway, more to Eloise specifically, she was, I thought great. And, Broke my heart a lot, especially early on when she's getting kind of ridiculed and mocked by the kind of the mean, you know, people at the school and stuff like that. 
but the then mean when, people at the school yeah, yeah. you mean bullies the bullies yeah 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 her roommate <laughs> was a jocelyn what was her name something like that. uh jocasta jocasta yeah yeah uh so you know when she has that scene specifically where she's hiding in this like she's going to the bathroom and then the girls come in to do coke in the neighboring stall so she kind of picks her feet up and listens in on that conversation the face she makes when they're insulting her is just so sad so it's like I'm, I'm kind of on her side she's like it's kind of a cliche fish out of water girl in the big city store to story but then when she starts getting kind of obsessed with sandy and starts having the dream and starts trying to be more like sandy like that's she chose that side really too too she starts to get a little more confident changes her hairstyle starts dressing more in like sandy's style those scenes I thought were all played really well. I really liked the sequences too of her laboring over the dress that she's designing in school and her moments of self-doubt and when she's questioning her sanity and all these things. I thought she's great and and pretty much every everything she's asked to do in this movie. And I do again think there's one or two too many scenes of her kind of losing her shit and running around, but I have no beef with the performances at all and I think it was amazing and i'm very excited to see her and more stuff as well what did what did you think of her well i'll give you my background on her first uh because i mean she's been an actress that i've been fascinated by in the last few years i think she's a really really incredible talent um i first heard about her because she was in leave no trace which got a lot of attention back in 2018 um but yeah, it's, it's a movie with ben foster uh, directed by deborah granick who did uh, uh winter's bone so she first got kind of attention for that. And then uh, after that, obviously, I saw her in Jojo Rabbit. And I thought she was transcendent in that movie. Um, I think that she is what sells that movie's entire emotional core for me. Um, so, yeah, brilliant performance there. And I was just hooked after that. I saw her in Old uh, the same year that that Last Night in Soho came out uh, in 2021. And I, I'm a huge fan of Old. And I think she is, again, the best part of that movie in terms of uh, from an acting perspective. I can't she, recall. What character does she play in Old? So she plays the 16-ish year old version of the young daughter. So mm-hmm. she's the one who's, I, I don't know, there's a scene where she is uh, Vicky Creeps and and... Gael Garcia Barnal uh, come upon their their kids and they've aged up by like ten years at that point, and um, and that's when she comes into the movie. So she's the the daughter for the majority of of the rest of that movie from that point forward. Mm-hmm. And I I think she's just great. She sells the the horror of being a five year old in a eighteen year old's body like so well. Um, but anyway, I, yeah, I love her in that. Um, she had a really small part in The Power of the Dog. So going into this movie, I was really, really excited for her. I, I'm not nearly as effusive on her performance as you are. I think it was solid in this. I think she's she's fine. But I also think that that's kind of a failing of the script because I, I think if you're playing a, a character like this that's going through this quote-unquote descent into madness, you kind of want to give that character more to react to. And I think she's just kind of scared of ghosts a lot, you know? And um, I just, I wanted more for her in this movie and I was, I was left a little bit underwhelmed by it, but that's, I don't think that's a fault of her. Yeah. I really did like the storyline they weaved in about, you know, how like schizophrenia runs in the family. So Mm -hmm. we've got that kind of running, that idea is running around and having a little bit of fun where there's groundwork of, of her to really doubt 
these sort of visions and these experiences that she's having. And in terms of things I'd like to see the movie do differently or whatever, I'd like to see that explored a bit more to have her, her kind of doubt the reality of these experiences based on her family's history. I thought it would have been kind of cool. Um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't I mean, really expand on that at all. And I yeah, wanted to that like the audience, like that the idea is thrown out there or we're introduced to this pretty early into the film, that this is a, an issue with the family, so to speak. Um, and so when these things are happening, we, we doubt it a little bit, or I know I certainly did. I'm like, well, this might not be real. Like this is, you know, schizophrenia in the family, blah, blah, blah. But the character doesn't doubt it a ton. And, you know, there's that scene where she's like talking to the police after she believes she's uncovered who the murderer was. And she's like, they're asking, they're asking her point blank. It's like, is there a history of mental illness in your family or schizophrenia? And she's like, no, no, that's not what this is. And then they're like, were you drugged? And then she remembers taking the drink and how that might've, there might've been drugs in that drink. Um, but she still is so confident in, in kind of what's going on in her head and outside of it and her experiences. It's like, I'm surprised they didn't let, play with that doubt. She didn't have a lot of internal doubt about yeah. it. And I kind, of, I kind of wish they had put that in there a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, you know, speaking again, I, like we've said it before, meet the movie where it is, judge it for what it is, not what it isn't. But at the same time, it, I can't help with this movie but see all these like threads that it could have done more with. You know, like we talked a, a little bit about like the lack of creative imagery for these, these, you know, hallucinations and whatnot throughout this movie. Like, I feel like the opening dance number is such a missed opportunity to do like a cool kind of dreamy sequence of her, you know, dancing, not just the, the one scene with her and Matt Smith, you know, when, when he's meeting uh, Anya Taylor-Joy slash Thomas and McKenzie in the, the dream. Um, like we get that, but I, I was just like, man, I was craving like the baby driver energy in this movie a little bit with what she's doing because she, she moves so beautifully in that scene. You're talking the opening scene where she's yeah. dancing, listening to the yeah, music. Yeah, I, I want more of that in this movie. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely glad we got, you mentioned the kind of the follow-up dance scene, which is back in the 60s and, and all that sort of stuff. So for me, that was enough to scratch those itches and the, the movie's kind of going in a different direction. So it was enough to kind of like, play with that energy but then the movie's like no but we're doing other things now so for me it was enough but i could understand people being like i kind of wanted a little more of that sort of classic edgar wright sort of like beauty of sound meshed with images sort of thing well it's taking us way too long to get to this but we got to talk about a member of the kennel miss mm -hmm. diane or excuse me dame diana rigg dame diana rigg what a legend uh, and I think she's, I think she's great in this. This is her final film performance before she passed away. She filmed this in like, I want to say they filmed this in, uh, 2019 and she passed away fall of 2020. Mm. Um, it's her, her last credit on IMDb. What'd you think of her in this? Oh, she's great. And I didn't know she was going to be in it. I can't remember if you had mentioned or not that she was going to be, but if you had, I forgot. So when I saw her name pop up with the credits actually i think i missed the name well it's for diana they they, yeah. they she gets the the four she gets the she the whole movie is dedicated to her and i didn't see her I, when it said for diana that didn't mean anything to me i thought right uh, oh is this someone edgar knows in his personal life or i don't know what his wife's name is or whatever um so i thought maybe that was it and then i i didn't catch the name when it flashed by the screen so when we're introduced to her at the apartment 
when Eloise is going for the first time, I was like, holy shit, is that Diana Rigg? And then next thing you know, it's like we really get to see her. It's like, that is, that is Diana Rigg. And I got so excited to see her because she's somewhat of a recent kennel crush for me. Whereas like I loved her in Game of Thrones, but I didn't really know that she was such an iconic British actor and has been for decades and decades. And then when you and I discussed on Her Majesty's Secret Service, that's when I was like, oh, this this person's amazing. And I just, Dart works in mysterious ways. I love the way we found our way to a Diana Rigg performance really quickly. And I just, I loved it. I thought she was amazing in this. She's so, it's so obvious that she comes from the stage. She delivers words so fucking well. She, her, her, her diction is great. And they're asking her to do, you know, tricky things like just stare right into the camera lens and deliver this monologue and she does she gets a lot of expository dialogue that's for sure for sure and i think she's she's great and i'm sad of course that you know we're not going to get any more film performances of her moving forward but i will be excited to to come across her work over the coming decades because i think she's really really fantastic and great in this film What, what what did you think of her she is incredible. Um, I think she's great in this. Uh, it's not my favorite performance of hers, but just love seeing her. Um, you know, I, I've been I've been getting a lot of Diana Rigg recently because, uh, like you, my really my only experience with her really up until recently was uh, Game of Thrones, which I loved her on. Like, and I knew that she was considered a legend, you know, well before that. But um, yeah, I just didn't have the context, but watching on her majesty's secret service, this, and then I also watched her in, um, the great Muppet caper where she's playing Charles Grodin's sister in it. And she's fucking awesome. She's like the, the main kind of villain character in that. It's great. Mm, mm. Yes. Yeah, so she can, she, she can do no wrong. Can just do no awesome. wrong. Yeah. Just a legend. Uh, and absolutely a member of the kennel. For sure. Yeah. Kennel, kennel, a hundred percent. 100%. No question. Kennel status achieved. Um, what do you think of Matt Smith in this? We've we, So in the pre-chat, that may, may or may not make it into a chin wag sesh later, but um, we have talked a little bit about House of the Dragon, which as we're recording this is airing. The, the third episode just aired last night. What do you think? And, and, you know, in the context of that show, I think you've maybe come around a little bit on him. I'm not so high on him in that show. What did you think of him in this movie? He looked like he belonged there, time-wise. Like he, he looked like he was from the 60s in London. He was very charming when we first get introduced to him, and also very confident. My problems with it, I think, come more from a writing perspective, and they weren't huge problems, but I wish we had seen a bit more his switch into being a terrible person. It was kind of abrupt, but you know, for my taste... So his performance, I thought, was fine. Like he, 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 I didn't find it to be remarkable. I didn't find it to be off-putting in terms of like performance level. I thought it fit. It fit for what the movie was doing, um, but I wasn't. I wasn't blown away. Yeah, I mean, I just find him to be a relentlessly uninteresting actor. Like, really? I just, I, yeah, I just. <laughs> he, he's not like he Such doesn't offend phrase. me. I don't think he's bad. <laughs> he's just boring, <laughs> and like. I, I don't know what it is. I can't get on board with him as a as a main character in any of the things I've seen him in. You know, obviously I I have a very small sample size that I'm pulling from, but I don't know. I just I he's not for me. I think I think he does nail the dance scene. I think he does yes. great in that. He does. That's um, true. 
he moves really well. He's got a, he's got a good physicality to him, but I I just he doesn't do it for me. I don't know what it is. I can't I can't get through to him. And I, honestly, I find his his eyes a little bit creepy. the The lack of eyebrows is is quite disturbing to me. Dude, I think I might be coming around a little bit to like. There's nothing about him on camera that ornately draws my attention. And, but neither does it repulse. Like, again, it's not like off-putting, but like that we've talked a lot about actors in the past who are just like, oh, man, we just cannot. This, is, this person is just electric. He did not seem electric to me in this film. Mm-hmm. But yes, to your point, and I completely echo it, he nails the dance scene. Yeah. Like that whole scene is fucking awesome, and he's, yeah. he's great in it. He brings the right level of swagger to those moves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Which so is that, weird because he doesn't really have it in the rest of the movie for yeah, me. Yeah, we, we see <laughs> we see glimpses of his sort of, I'm going to say like physical charisma. Like like that's what I think a lot of the movie for, in terms of his performance lacks is there's the way he moves on screen doesn't really draw my attention. But he's got shit tons of it in that dance scene. Like he's just he's smooth and suave and cut in a rug. And the way they're doing all those camera tricks too during that dance sequence and the way they're kind of blending it all together, uh, that whole scene worked like gangbusters for me. I, I, I really did dig it. I think we, we have to talk about the cinematography in this film and its visual style, who's involved, all that stuff. Because we obviously have very different takes on this movie to some degree. Like, I, I liked it. I thought it was solid, but I'm not in love. You were kind of lower on it than I am. But mm-hmm. I think we could agree that the cinematography is stupendous. Absolutely. Like, uh, this movie is gorgeous to look at, especially the first half of it is just outstanding. We we need to call it out. The cinematographer is a guy named Chung Hoon Chung, who is Park Chan-wook's longtime collaborator. Yeah, his go-to. Park Chan-wook's go-to cinematographer. Who is a, a, a director that Jared and I did a whole series, you know, kind of as a test record, just watching all of his movies. So we, we have a lot of background with with this cinematographer at this point. And everything that this guy shoots is just gorgeous. Unreal. I mean, the the probably my favorite of them is is The Handmaiden, personally, which if anyone listening to this has never watched The Handmaiden, go watch that fucking movie. It is unreal how how beautiful that movie is and it's just a brilliant film on top of that yeah i'll just throw my hat in the ring i think visually my favorite is old boy but uh which is actually in some ways closest to this like like, old boy's got a lot of neon and stuff like that going on in it too Mm -hmm. but he is a a sensational cinematographer and yeah check out park chan wook's movies and keep an eye out for the visual flair and the visual style because it's it's to be admired to say the least and he fucking kills it in this movie holy yeah. hell does it look good the the blues and the reds and the colors and like the yellow of the lights oh, oh it's all just so luscious especially early on i i love it's kind of a fantastical choice i guess but the the way that the neon sign lights up her bedroom in red white and blue repeatedly i think is just it, it's so visually interesting yeah and i love when really bold lighting choices and visual choices are grounded in reality 
So like the reason for that, those colors cycling through is as we're introduced to in the film, there's that French bistro across the streets and that's the colors of the French flag. So it's just clicking through those colors and they try to use red in the film specifically to mark the time when the time travel is happening. Right. So they they keep trying to do that sort of thing to indicate that here comes another time traveling sequence. But yeah, again, when you're, when you're playing in really bold lighting choices like that, for me, it needs to be, there needs to be a reason for it. And I think this movie has the reasons built in it enough for, for me, me to totally buy it. Yeah, totally. No, it totally worked for me. I I'm, I'm on board and it, it's a tough, it, that's a tough thing to, to balance uh, is, is getting that, you know, having that sort of strong choice feel organic to the world. Uh, but it does. I think it works. Yeah, it works great. And as we're talking, too, about like the cinematography and things, I wanted to get in a little bit about some of the techniques and tricks they do in this movie, particularly mm-hmm. in those dream sequences where Sandy and Eloise are there together and Eloise is kind of shadowing Sandy and, and is in all these reflections and stuff. I really loved all that shit. I thought it was was really well done and really cool. And it sounds like, based on what I was hearing in the commentary, they did a lot of different techniques and tricks to make it work. Some really kind of like future looking and kind of like modern day. Sure, like green screens and whatnot. Yeah, like green screens, motion control cameras and things like that. But then a lot of just old school tomfoolery and faking and everything in between. Like, if you think of that sequence where Anya checks her coat, Sandy checks her coat, and it's like one of the first times, I think, that Eloise goes back in time and is there. And you see in the, the what feels like the reflection, Eloise has a coat check person with, him, with her as well, and they walk through at the same pace, and it's mirrored. Like, that was one where they just straight up faked it. And they had that these twin actors who played the coat check person on both sides of the wall and they just faked it as a mirror mm-hmm. shot, but it's literally just, uh, you know, they just duplicate, they just did it, you know? Well, I believe that they hired twins to play. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. They hired the twins who were the Harry Potter twins, the Weasley twins. Oh, the is Harry that Potter them? Films. I didn't realize that. Yeah, that's them. And so I guess um, Edgar told this great story about how, Anya and 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 or Sandy and Eloise, the actors playing them, didn't know that that's it was the Weasley brothers. And when he, he was like, "Oh, did you know them? You know them from the Harry Potter?" And they just totally geeked out and nerded <laughs> out, and were just like, "Oh my gosh, oh my gosh!" And Edgar Wright, I mean, maybe not to that extent, but recognizable. And Edgar Wright was like, "Geez, maybe I shouldn't have told them because what the scene we're getting ready to do is like really complicated." coordinate match movements and they're all flustered now because they're with these these stars from their youth you know anyway yeah yeah so so the point being they did a lot of like old school stuff like that and then they also did these really cool things with mirror shots in terms of like literally one person who is not being duplicated was in front of a mirror and then that the other half of the mirror was cut off and removed and either Eloise or Sandy would be on the other side of that, but that allowed them to maintain the reflection behind the person who is not being duplicated Mm. while having someone just on the other side of it. So it was just a lot of cool cool techniques that I think all blended together really well. And to me, it reminded me of how they handled the size differences in Lord of the Rings for the hobbits where they would do everything. They would do, uh, you know, having kind of, 
little people do stunt doubles. They'd have like big, massive suits that would be operated. They'd do camera tricks and different things. I love when movies do that, when they tackle a problem from a variety of different solutions. And this is definitely an example of that for me. Well, and it always works better when you're doing a variety of things like that, as opposed to just doing everything as like a special effects CGI, you know, replacement kind of thing. Because when you do that, I think you, like the audience picks up on it. Oh, it's a special effect right away. Whereas when you mix it up and you're always doing different stuff, the audience is always like, you know, one step behind you and is like, like, you know, it's, I don't know. I think it's like, it's, it's a subtle art of like how, how to trick the brain into thinking like, this is all the same thing. Yeah, totally. As soon as we get used to something, you knock us on our heels a bit and you keep us guessing and it makes for a more fun experience as, as a viewer, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, any last notes that we want to touch on before we wrap up on last night in Soho? I had two shots that I wanted to give specific shout outs to beyond the ones we've mentioned so far. One is really simple and one is really big. I don't know what it is about them, but the shots they would have of Eloise grabbing a pint glass to fill it up at the bar. I can't put it into words, but I loved those shots and they're really just insert shots. They're nothing, they're nothing special, but something about the the pacing and how they sat in the scenes, which took place at varying degrees of tension based on what's happening in the story now. And then she goes to pour that pint. And I don't know, it was shot in a way that I just developed a crush on. It's like, this is just cool. And I can't even explain why, but really good insert shots. Yeah. Well, and Edgar Wright is famous for those. I, I mean, um, the YouTube series that I've brought up before, every frame of painting, uh, they, they did a whole episode on just Edgar Wright's use of the insert shot. It's it's yeah. a really he he's one of the masters at it of making it like interesting visually, while still achieving the same you know just practical uh, necessity of of needing to to show that to the audience. Yeah, and I I so it makes sense that he's so good at, at that sort of stuff. But I, what I loved about it in this movie is that it was used so sparingly. You know, in movies of his past, something like say a Hot Fuzz, they'd be like, oh, we're gonna go do a thing, and then there'd be like four rapid fire insert shots like boom boom mm -hmm. boom 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 and I, I like all that shit too a lot but we still got a taste of those great edgar wright inserts in this but they were just they were a little more used selectively they were they were really specific when they get hit and they would get, when they get chosen so well I yeah really i mean the that. ones that he uses in like hot fuzz and scott pilgrim <laughs> and whatnot are like these really fast-paced mm -hmm. you know kind of energetic cuts that he's doing so it's it's you know it's a def definitely a different vibe, but it's it's there. Mm -hmm. And then I um, the big shot that I was like, holy hell, is again when when Sandy's like coming down those stairs for the first time, and it's the first time the dream world's being shared, and Eloise is beside her in the mirror that's like multi fragmented and is like all split up. Was just like I was like, damn dude, that's just a great great shot. I don't yeah. really know well, how they cool, did it, but super, super dope. Beautiful set design, too, of that entire set. Absolutely. Yeah, it's one of the best sets I've seen in a while. Yeah, Remarkable. It's really, it's really impressive. I, I think all the sets in this movie are really great. I, I, I love her, uh, her apartment. I love the uh, smaller venue that she, you know, is doing the marionette bit in. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think all of that is really, really cool and, and how they, he, you know, 
it's mm. just it's just really beautifully done. Yeah. I did have one question I wanted to ask you before getting your kind of wrap up y bullet pointy sort of stuff is how did you feel about Terrence Stamp's performance? So he played the older guy, Lindsay, yeah. who No, great call. Yeah. We're led to believe he's kind of this very nefarious, creepy presence in the film. And it kind of twists that. But I just wanted to get your feeling on this performance overall. Yeah, no, I think it's it's great. Uh, you know, Edgar is absolutely weaponizing Terrence Stamp's kind of intense, distant persona. Mm-hmm. Like he's 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 weaponizing the fact that you inherently don't trust Terrence Stamp because he's like mm-hmm. quintessential Bond villainy type, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think in that way, it, he's really well used in this. Um, and I like him as an actor generally. I, I haven't seen him in a ton of stuff, but I'm definitely familiar with him as a persona. Mm. Yeah. I would really like to watch The Limey at some point. That's a Soderbergh that I haven't seen that he is the star of and that I, I would I would definitely love to get on the board at some point. Dude, I, I don't know anything about it. I'm intrigued already. I'm hoping you choose it someday soon, man, because that would be cool. Yeah. But yeah, I, uh, I really liked his performance and, and and the turn his character takes. Dug all that shit. But um, it was one of those oh shit reveals that did not surprise me. You know what I mean? I, I kind of predicted like because when we're introduced to him when he's younger, like they found a perfect comparable performer. You know what I mean? They have Sam Clafton is who plays him younger when he meets Sandy in the club for the first time. And I I first viewing was like, oh, that's that's the old guy. Like you can see it in his eyes and his face is kind of the same. So when they go through, I that definitely whole didn't route, pick up on that. That's interesting that you immediately pinpointed it. Oh, that's yeah. I, th- I thought you would have got it too. Okay. That's interesting. So maybe it really worked for a lot of people as a sort of reveal. Did we ever find out if he for sure dies in this film, by the way, we know he gets, I think he, he was, does. I think he does too, but he does he a header hit. into a fucking windshield. Like yeah. it, his face is mangled. That's <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty bad way to go. But they call an ambulance and we never hear back. I think it's safe to assume he dies. But I would um, say so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. And I don't need a scene of like a police funeral or something. Like it's fine. I'll just make it up. You know, we can figure it out. But uh, but yeah, really liked him, especially that little thing he does when he flicks the coaster up and catches it. Mm. You know, and she's like, "I heard you used to be quite a ladies' man." It's like, "Yo, you never lose it." And he's just like this creepy guy, but he's cool and he's charming, and maybe was one of the few characters who actually kind of had Sandy's back back in the day mm-hmm. and did want her to kind of get out of the lifestyle and escape. Um, so yeah, I did like that turn, even though I kind of saw it coming to some extent, but great performance. I thought, no, really great. I, I, I enjoyed every minute I had of him in this movie and uh, yeah, I don't know the limey, the limey sounding kind of nice right now. Yeah. Who knows? It seems Who organic. Knows? It seems organic, but yeah, those were my kind of, final bullet points I wanted to hit was there anything you wanted to give shout outs to no I mean I think we've covered pretty much everything that I really enjoyed about this movie I think you know overall I was not a massive fan of this movie I think this is a very you know it's not a movie that I I hate by any means Mm -hmm. but it's definitely not one that I see myself revisiting very often Mm. I'll be interested to see you know as Edgar Wright's filmography continues to grow we have some space and some decades like when people they're doing their top fives or their top tens or their lists kind of like we did earlier will last night and soho specifically be among the bottom for people or will it be one of those movies that 
Some people really love it and it's right at the top, somewhere in the mix, you know. And again, we just need some time away from it before that sort of stuff starts to solidify. But yeah, I've, I could totally understand people not vibing with this movie that makes sense to me. I liked it quite a bit, but um, but it's by no means is it my favorite Edgar Wright. And it is for me on the lower end of the spectrum out of the things I've seen of his so far. But uh, but definitely different. Definitely, definitely different for him, in my opinion. But it is time to get something new on the board. And if I am not mistaken, this week is a Drew Clark week for one of your nominations. It sure is. And, you know, I've mentioned the Limey. I'm not going to pick it this week. Not this week? It's it's sounding enticing for a later week. And, you know, you are more than welcome to put it on next week if you so choose. But I think, uh, you know, that is an organic choice, but it's an organic choice for later down the road, in my opinion. Mm Mm-hmm. We've also already covered Steven Soderbergh, so I, I don't feel I don't feel too bad leaving that out for right now. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Do you have contenders? Did you come Did you come with one in the chamber? Well, you- I had forgotten before this that uh, that it was my week. Honestly, I hadn't I hadn't done a lot of thought. I mean, I have my running list, so I've got ideas for sure. And as I'm looking over the list right now, I'm kind of. I'm mulling three different ones around in my head right now. One is from a director that we have already covered, as I say, you know, that we don't need to put another Soderbergh on. But it's also one of my major, major shamers. And it's one that I think, like, I, I just, I, I, I need something like this to kind of give me the impetus to watch. So there's that. As I'm looking at one of the th- the other two, I'm already going to disqualify it because it's too similar to something we covered recently. And then the the last one of that I'm considering here, or and the other one I'm considering here is from a classic filmmaker that I really enjoy. It's an older movie, and I think our list we've we've kind of weeded out a lot of the the older stuff on the board uh, to this point, and. Part of me kind of wants to get another classic on the board. I like I like both of those reasons that you're giving, and I agree with you. Like I like that we've the pendulum has swung in a more modern way, but I also think there's room for it to go back and forth as we progress through the show. And uh, I'm totally down with the idea of doing something older and getting kind of re solidifying that side of the spectrum. But also, I'm intrigued by this shamer and I don't think you should be too concerned about the fact that it's a director we've covered before. That's just going to happen. Uh, I think you just got to trust your gut and think of based on what you know, what one are you more excited to see or watch? I don't know if it's excitement is the right word, but I think this, this shamer is one that deserves to be put to rest in my, in my head. Mm. And if we're going to redo a filmmaker, this is the filmmaker to redo. It's Steven Spielberg's Schindler's List. Schindler's List. Amazing choice. For this reason, too, I have only seen half of this movie. So it's a co-shamer, pretty much. At least a half-shamer for me, too. So I think it's a good choice. I Yeah. I, I like it. I like the half-shamer. Let's, let's do it. And that's just going to be a fun conversation. Uplifting... <laughs> <laughs> one for the whole family yeah yeah let's get, yeah yeah that's gonna be a positive experience I, I in all seriousness I like the choice a lot and I think it's I think it's a good one 
I think we've got a lot of kind of playful, upbeat stuff on the board. We need a one to just depress the shit out of us. Yeah, let's get some darkness. Let's get some darkness back in there. <laughs> Schindler's List is going on at number 14. So I am, let... Real quick, ahead. I'm curious. You might want to keep it to yourself, and that's totally fine. What was the other candidate? Or do you want to keep that the secret for now? The other candidate... I'll, I don't mind telling you. The other candidate is a uh, a criterion that's been uh, gathering dust on my shelf that I need to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Billy Wilder's Ace in the Hole. Oh, cool. Yeah, that I'm sure that'll get on there someday and will be cool. I, I dig Schindler's List. Good choice. Yeah. So Schindler's List, number 14. Let's run through the whole board as it sits now. Number one, we've got You Can Count on Me. At number two, we've got Ex Machina. Number three, The Right Stuff. Number four, The Big Sleep. Number five, Operation Condor. Number six, The Sixth Sense. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, The Fifth Element. Number nine, Days of Heaven. Number 10, Big Daddy. Number 11, Heathers. Number 12, Straight Story. Number 13, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Number 14, Schindler's List. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Modern Romance. Number 17, The Blair Witch Project. Number 18, Waking Life. Number 19, Face Off. Number 20, Kung Fu Hustle. Hustle! Hell yeah, dude. There it is. All right. I am ready to check this thing and see what the dart says. You ready? The dart has spoken, Drew. What's the dart got for us this week? Well, we had a miss, and then we had another number that I feel like we are just clustered around. We keep hitting numbers around this, but I'll tell you what it is. 16. This movie went on the board, I think, last or two <laughs> weeks ago. Again. Uh, man, we cannot get out of the <laughs> teens, man. That front half of the board is just... just it's untouched. It just, they don't, they, the fates do not want us going there right now. I don't know what Jesus. it is. And it was lefty, me, too. Giving me single-digit blue balls over here. <laughs> well, number 16 is... Albert Brooks's Modern Romance. All right, Modern Romance. That's I'm another. In, I'm excited to watch it. I, so we'll get into why I put this on the board uh, and and kind of what influenced that decision. But you know, I don't mind saying here that I think we both are big fans of Albert Brooks from Broadcast News. Uh, but I think we're both pretty underviewed on his stuff. So it'll be good to to add this one in. This is considered like one of his best films, and uh, I'm I'm really excited to dive into it. I am too, and. I am happy. I don't think we ever mentioned this. So we might cut this out, but I was able to break your streak up a little bit with, with last night in Soho because you were on a tear there for a while. Well, I hit four in a row for the so second time. You tied the record. No one, no one's gotten five in a row yet, and I think the only fours have been yours as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it was a nice one week in the sun, <laughs> and now we get to go... <laughs> Uh, with another Drew Clark, but I am excited about this choice, dude. I love what I've seen from him, and we'll get into it next week. But it's now might, six out of eight for me. I'm gonna have to try to go back to righty or something, man. We just this upper teens. We keep hovering around the 14 through like 18 zone. Just can't get away from. But fuck it. Well, yeah. I mean, I think uh, slowly but surely by doing by hitting these numbers, we're filling in uh, a lot of your numbers into the back. So you know. <laughs> I think you're you're going to get some options coming up. For sure. For sure. All right, buddy. Well, that'll do it for our episode on Last Night in Soho. For now, 
what am I saying for now for? Let me get my outro here. I always forget to pull this up. Uh, excuse me. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Please remember to rate, review, and give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or give us a recommendation, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at dartboardmovienight. Artwork for the show is created by Veronica Roman, and all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. Sorry, Mark. Later. <laughs>